Pictures. I'm your host, Brent Gunn. With me is my co-host, as always, Mitch. How about you say hi? Hello, hello everyone. This is Mitchell Kakalka, news editor from Central Machine Life. So today we're doing a little bit of a different setup. We're kind of just doing a discussion today, and uh, we want to talk about films that we love but can't recommend. So, Mitch, do you want to kind of embellish on that at all? Or? Um, what we're going to be talking about today, like Brent said, um, films are films that we personally like really appreciate but when it when it comes to openly kind of like rec- recommending these films to like other friends family um we often kind of like run into trouble for reasons either like maybe our tastes are too weird and we're not sure how other people will react to them they're but. they're films we we tend to kind of just keep to ourselves because mm-hmm. we feel like yeah. if you recommended it someone would probably think you're a bad person <laughs> Um, and we promise that we aren't, hopefully. But we're each going to recommend uh, two films. Uh, Mitch, how about you introduce your first film first, and then I'll go after you. Okay. So my first film is a 2015 film called Lost There's River. How can I help? I'd like to stay in the house. Do you mind if I ask why? Because I have two boys, and that is our home. I found a road that goes underwater. It was the directorial debut from Ryan Gosling, fresh off of working on two of uh, Nicholas Winding reference films, um, Drive and Only God Forgives. And as many critics have pointed out, you can really tell the influence of Refn um, in this film. It's very... You, you notice I paused. Nobody can describe, really, what this film is about. It's... You only re- it's a dark fairy tale set in modern-day Detroit, hmm. a rundown version of modern-day Detroit where there's no discernible sense of law. Um, Matt Smith, who has played, I think, the 11th Doctor Who, plays this um, crime, crime lord of a sort named Bully who just rides around on town um, in the back of a convertible with a lazy boy seat sticking out of it, like yelling at people to um, not strip the building for their copper because that's his copper. The, the entire world be, belongs to him. See, I, I've, I've never seen this film. I've, mm-hmm. I had never even heard of it. Um, mm-hmm. What exactly like makes it hard for you to recommend it? It's very uh, – it's – like I said, it's – very much influenced by Nicholas Ronding Refn, who did Drive, which is another film that kind of um, has divided all of audiences. In I, its... I, I'm a little torn mm-hmm. on how I felt about mm-hmm. Drive. It, whereas Drive had like a very subversive quality to um, standard narrative, especially standard action narrative. Um, that's kind of the approach that Lost River takes to its story. It's very... Um, gosh, I can't even... It's very... Subdued in terms of discernible plot. Okay. It's um, kind of a mixture of a fairy tale and a nightmare. Did, did, did um, you happen to see uh, The Place Beyond the Pines? I did, yeah. The Ryan Gosling film. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of that just by you describing it. Is it kind of tonally similar to that at all? Um, maybe in the construction of the scenes. Okay. Um, the construction of the plot, not quite as much. Um, it also stars Ben Middleton. Um Middle Sum, I believe, um, who was also in 
Place Beyond the Pines. He kind of plays the antagonist oh, right. in this movie. Right. In this movie. Um, but yeah, it's the film also stars. Um, so I guess I'm talking so much about the plot. <laughs> For, as much as there is a plot, um, it stars Christina Hendricks as this um, suffering mother, mother in this Detroit neighborhood, who and her son, who's played by Ian. Um, I might. Pro- I might be bis- mispronouncing the name, but it's Ian the Castiker, who is, as far as I know, I think he was in like Agents of Shield or oh, okay. from a quick Google search. But and they play a mother and a son who are residents of this neighborhood, and they're both completely like dirt poor, and they both try to um, get away from their settings, kind of like advance themselves as as best as they can in this. Um, incredibly dark and, like, desolate world. Um, the son, whose name is Bones, does it by stripping copper from local buildings and other kind of um, vague, pretty pretty illegal activities. It strikes Where, me as a depressing film, just, like, by hearing you talk about it, or, or kind of bleak film. Bleak more so than depressing. Okay. It's... um. Very, it's a very colorful film, um, kind of leaning on the refin... Um, influences, but there's yeah, a lot of bright colors. There's a lot of neon. There's a character played by Saoirse Ronan, who she just has um, her bedroom was just lit lit by a bright pink neon like sign of a dinosaur. Um, a lot of moments kind of like that with a lot of red lighting, um, pur- purple lighting, blue light lighting. Right. Um, and so yeah, this. Uh, Seems I'm, like it's really taken a lot out of you. It's, just, I'm like, struggling just as film. describing this film is making me struggle um, just as much as like anybody. I feel like that, that's something that we're going to continue to bump into, into with this episode yeah. because these films are Try, at least my my two mm-hmm. picks are very much so non traditional films mm-hmm. and they're also very uh, confrontational films. Mm-hmm. I think that would be another good way to describe them. Yeah, it's, we're going to be these films that we talk about are very. Um, we're gonna we're gonna be trying this entire episode to like describe them in terms that are understandable. When in many cases, the films by their nature are trying to be like, and you said, a very confrontational way, um, ununderstandable. Yeah, and um, remember, we're not recommending them. So, like, if you go to watch one of these films and you hate it, or like, mm-hmm. it's not our fault. We're not we're not recommending. Yeah, it. yeah, we warned you. But, so, yeah, um, what what. What, what's it called again? Lost River? Lost River. I, I had never heard of this film. I, I really want to check it out now. It, it got a lot of booze at Cannes. Those um, are the best films. <laughs> like, it, it, like, I mean, honestly, like, so much stuff gets booed nowadays. Mm-hmm. I, I think Moonlight, no, not Moonlight, uh, La La Land, I think, got booed huh. at, on a couple of occasions. You never know what's going to get booed. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's just one, like one really uppity group. You know, it's yeah. bound to happen. So, do you want me to go into my pick now? Yeah, we can go into yours. Okay. My first pick is probably probably my favorite film of all time. It's a uh, 2012's The Comedy. What? I'm representing Williamsburg, bro. You gotta respect where I come from because I respect where you come from. Come on. You know where we come from, bro? We come from the hood. You are in the demon's house. <laughs> I had a great day. I went to the shopping mall. 
directed by Rick Alverson. It stars uh, Tim Heidecker, Eric Wareheim, uh, Greg uh, Turkington. Um, and when the film came out, it was right hot off the buzz of Tim and Eric's billion-dollar movie. So a lot of people were going into this film expecting something very Tim and Eric-esque, comedy-wise. Mm-hmm. And it's called a comedy. So, mm-hmm. But once you start watching the film... Um, it's not a comedy. It's a really, really, really dry, offensive, pitch black humor character study about an aging hipster in, uh, I believe, New York, mm-hmm. whose father is dying. And as a way of kind of processing the potential death of his father and inheriting all of his money, the lead, Tim Heidecker, is essentially this hyper cynical kind of sociopath who just spends his time getting drunk with his friends and screwing with people. Mm. That's the entire plot of the film, (laughs) essentially. It's about 100 minutes of Tim Heidecker soullessly screwing with the world around him. Okay. (laughs) And uh, most people that watched the film kind of took it as like a movie 43 type thing. Okay. Which it's easy to see why they would think that, but watching interviews with the director he kind of establishes clearly that the film's like this critique of culture and this critique of cynicism and this critique of mm-hmm. you know you could probably say like postmodernism or something but you know throughout the whole film tim heidecker's character never has one sincere moment really mm-hmm. he's constantly has this wallop of cynicism and you know just taking the piss out of everything around him to where he doesn't really have any real connection with anybody. He's kind of this empty human being who can't really connect even if he tried because he's so obsessed with, you know, uh, projecting cynicism onto the world around him. It's a really, really interesting film, but the reason I can't recommend it is because he regularly goes into these bits where Mm -hmm. he plays these characters. Um, that are incredibly offensive, uh, for lack of a, of a better word. Um, yeah, that the film doesn't try to be anything other than just uncomfortable. Okay, which in itself is kind of very Tim and Eric-y. For, um, yeah, it's like if Tim and Eric, uh, I don't know, both had like a really bad trip and mm. decided to make a character study about it. <laughs> That's essentially what it is. Like, you know how in Tim and Eric, they usually had, like, some kind of darker sketches that... Yeah. Or even on, like, Steve Brule. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, like, those really kind of dark, uncomfortable bits. Mm-hmm. The comedy is kind of like that, but it's tonally a lot drier. There are mm-hmm. moments that I find really funny, but it's not a comedy in any traditional sense. It's much more of a bleak, somewhat depressing, uncomfortable, kind of disturbing character study about mm-hmm. a really detached person. You know how much input Tim and Eric had in the making of this film? Well, I'm, Tim Heidecker wrote it with uh, Rick Alverson, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with any of his other films. He's one of my favorite directors. Um, not quite, He did uh, Entertainment, mm-hmm. um, New Jerusalem, and The Builder, and all of his films are very, very slow you know, character studies is kind of mm-hmm. what he does. And uh, with entertainment, it's basically the comedy, but observing uh, Greg Turkington as Neil Hamburger. Okay. 
Um, anyway, I'm getting a little bit off track. But uh, yeah, the comedy is really, really hard for me to you know recommend because you know people ask me like, oh, like what's your favorite movie? And I wish I could just say the comedy, but then it's always followed up like, what is that? You know, should I watch it? Maybe, maybe you should watch it because I don't know. I've I've shown it to people before, and I've had people get really kind of pissed off at the movie <laughs> because they feel like it's just a waste of their time because there are literally entire scenes which you feel upon your first watch like, what was the point of that? Mm-hmm. And just for like a level of understanding of how much Tim Heidecker screws with people in this film, uh, in one of the bits of the film, he's drinking at a bar he gets really drunk and he's taking a taxi home and in the taxi um he's making conversation with the driver named raj and uh you know he eventually gets to the point where he's trying to bribe raj i think he offers him four hundred dollars to drive his cab home Hmm. and you know he pressures him and pressures him and eventually raj you know agrees because you know he doesn't make a lot of money he's a cab driver Mm -hmm. so tim heidecker takes the car he starts doing illegal activities in the front of the car, which forces Raj, you know, start attacking him, pull the car over, and he runs out of the car, like, terrified, but kind of, like, he has, like, a high off of it, you know? Okay. Yeah, the whole film is really composed of these vignettes of him trying to make the people around him really uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. if you like awkward humor, this may be up your alley, but if that makes you uncomfortable at all, you're going to want to turn this movie off within like 10 minutes, honestly. I think that's kind of an undercurrent through all of Tim and Eric's work as far as like I'm familiar with them is just the entire goal is just like a nonstop onslaught against the audience to make them like uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Um, looking at some of like the the reviews for the film that poured in, mm-hmm. uh, the Huffington Post wrote it, uh, the reviewer that was working for the Huffington Post, I can't remember who wrote the specific review, but they closed it out with... Uh, the comedy is the first film I've ever walked out of, ever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, e- even in the the film's trailer, they proudly leave that as like a quote on the trailer. They <laughs> want you to know that this is a film that's going to probably upset you mm-hmm. or at the very least like irritate you because I feel like Rick Alverson uh, is really irritated by the kind of really cynical uh sense of humor that kind of permeates modern culture and like a lot mm-hmm. of meme culture and stuff. There's a lot of irony and a lot of uh, uh, sarcasm and stuff. And I think he wants to kind of move away from that to more of a sincere conversation. Okay. Is it, would you say it's comparable to any other film like outside of Alverson's filmography? Um, It's really funny. Uh, in survey of mass media, we actually just watched a film called the comedian that mm. was released in 1957 Starring uh, Mickey Rooney, I, I, I believe. Okay. Sounds about right. <laughs> and uh, it was really, really similar thematically to uh, the comedy. But honestly, the reason why I love the movie so much is because it's, I think, really unique. There's mm. really nothing else that I've ever seen like it. Okay. But um, yeah, so that's my second pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mitch, how about you go into your second Actually, that's my first pick, mm-hmm. yeah. second overall. Yeah. Your first. My um, <clears throat> second film is actually one of my favorite films. Um, 
kind of looks fitting with the theme of this episode. It's not when people ask me what my favorite films are, I tend to leave this one out. But um, it's The Master by Paul Thomas Anderson, released in 2012. Upon your shoulders rests the responsibility of a post-war world. Smile. You can start a business, filling station, grocery, or hardware store. Get a few acres of land and raise some chickens. You have a break coming? Ten minutes. If the average civilian had been through the same stresses that you have been through, undoubtedly they too would have developed the same nervous condition. I love this movie. Probably my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film today. It's definitely up there. Paul Thomas Anderson is probably, um, if not my absolute favorite, like one of definitely my favorite directors. Um, yeah. This is up there with his films like um, Boogie Nights and Inherent Vice. As Did you like Magnolia? I actually did like Magnolia. I, I, I keep trying with it, but I get like 30 minutes. I'm like, <laughs> I, I can't. I got to keep trying with that movie. Yeah, it's... I def- feel like deep down I love it. I mm-hmm. just won't let myself love it. That was one of his more personal films. One of his more um, kind of like throw everything at the wall, see what sticks films. And usually I love those mm-hmm. kinds of movies, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I got to keep trying. Anyway, yeah. with The Master. So The Master um, takes place in 1950 or so. Um it's kind of a loose interpretation of the origins of Scientology with L. L. Ron Hubbard in this film played by um, – or a, ver- a um, very thinly veiled parody of L. L. Ron Hubbard played by Philip Seymour Hoffman and probably, if not his best role, one of his best, ro- best roles. one of his best. And um, unfortunately also one of his last. Yeah. Um, and – but he's not the main character. The main character is um, – a character named um, Freddie Quill, played by Joaquin Phoenix, and again, one of his best roles. Like every actor in this film has one of, has like gives some of their like best work. Kind of an um, underrated performance from him. I feel like people yeah. kind of overlook it a lot because mm-hmm. they're so enamored by Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. Yeah. But it really is, um, and like the directors and actors said, this the entire film really is kind of a. Um, two-person act by these two actors. Like, they build on each other and, like, play off of, play each, off other. of each other so they, well. They both develop the mm-hmm. plot forward. Mm-hmm. And so in as much as there's a plot, there is just um, Freddie Quill, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who's a shell-shocked veteran of World War II. He's re- after the war. He really has no direction in his life. He has a lot of meaningless sex, a lot of meaningless drug use. Until he's a he, raging alcoholic, raging alcoholic, um, pretty good at making like bootleg liquors out mm-hmm. of things like airplane fuel and like paint thinner. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ugh. But he falls kind of under the influence of Lancaster Don, this very charismatic, um, for lack of a better word, cult leader or like the beginnings of a cult leader. Um, a sort of philosopher. Yeah, he's a theoretical um he, he, has, he, a he has a bunch of these made-up labels mm-hmm. for himself to kind of yeah. elevate himself, but he's really just a hack, essentially. Yeah, he's – and so the film just takes place over um, a couple of years about the development of the relationship between um, Freddie's character and um, the character of Lancaster Don and why it's kind of hard for me to recommend. Um, in addition to being um, – Quite slow in pacing, like a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson's later films were. Um, kind of, this was the I'm doing air air quotes Kubrickian phase of his filmography, as some critics and fans have pointed out. Um, yeah. A lot of long shots and like close ups, very as, choreographed camera <laughs> movements. Yeah, definitely. A lot of like desolate um, landscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in which the story takes place in, but also just it's the focus of the film is on Freddy and his just kind of wandering aimlessly um, through life. Um, and the, the film doesn't shy away from his, like all the characters really, um, sexual frustrations kind of in this um, Freudian-esque um, demonstration of uh, sexual inadequacy, how that kind of leads into loneliness, which can lead into other things, whether that whether that's joining a cult or starting your own cult. But it's a very, in its own sense, in the sense that Philip Seymour Hoffman's character feeds off off of the doubt and uncomfortable uncomfortability of people who join his cult. The film kind of really dwells on how uncomfortable, how vulnerable all the characters are, how like awkward they are when dealing with other people. And um yeah. That's that's the there's movie. there's one scene in particular, um, the uh, auditing scene. Yes, the mm-hmm. it's this really really um, powerful scene. Uh, for those that don't know, auditing is this process in Scientology where they kind of interview you to mm-hmm. make you uh, drop some of your inhibitions and repressions and kind of you know, be mm-hmm. more uh, honest and vulnerable. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, in the film, Lancaster Dodd has his first audit with uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character, uh, Freddie Quill. And um, it's some very kind of graphic information is revealed mm-hmm. during the auditing process. And one of the rules is that Joaquin Phoenix can't blink. Otherwise, they restart the questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Joaquin Phoenix and the camera just lingers on his face. as like he gets like really, you know, tense from not being able to blink. Like his yeah. eyes start watering, his very face gets red. red in the face, very tense all over. And he's trying to answer mm-hmm. these questions, which get pretty graphic and pretty gross really mm-hmm. quick. Very, um, very personal questions. And the scene like, just goes on and on. It's like a five-minute scene. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think it's all one shot, but it's all very much, it's composed of a lot of extended shots. Yeah, almost. yeah, it's just a standard, like, shot reverse, but yeah. it just goes back and forth for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of moments in the film that are very kind of blunt like that. Yeah. There's also a lot of kind of blunt nudity in the mm-hmm. film, which uh, the people that I've watched it with often had a criticism of, you know, well, the nudity felt kind of un- unnecessary. But yeah. back to your point about that kind of sexual frustration, mm-hmm. frustration, it does kind of make sense how Paul Thomas Anderson used nudity to really kind of reveal how unhappy the characters were yeah. with you know their own personal mm-hmm. shortcomings yeah it's not at all a sex, sexy movie no 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 nudity. not at all it's mm-hmm. it's nothing you know with regards to titillation it's straightforward kind of making mm-hmm. a statement and it's pretty mm-hmm. clear kind of going off that um going back to like our overall theme of like not being able to recommend these to other people um my roommate um who i my former roommate who i lived with for two years while in the dorms here um, was also a fan of the film, and he um, ch- played it once to try to kind of like hit on a girl that he had just met, really? like kind of like gauging like, oh, if she likes this film, we can talk, and hmm. it didn't really work. She was like a very <laughs> Christian girl, and I, I got, and I just like walked down the scene where Walking Phoenix is. Um, furiously masturbating into the ocean. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of that mm-hmm. in the movie. A lot of that in the movie. Um, but yeah, it's 
it's it's not something that you can like fully recommend because mm-hmm. you have those hangups about it, but you can't deny it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about how great it is. Mm-hmm. I'm sure anyone else who's seen this movie can tell you how great it is. But yeah. That that that's the hard thing about really you know strong films mm-hmm. or strong art. They usually mm-hmm. have strong content. Yeah, and a film that really is about um just delving into these characters like far beyond what anybody would really like want to know about any other person. Yeah. It's also kind of a gratuitous film mm-hmm. in how it kind of just repeatedly shows you what you already know, like mm-hmm. uh, specifically with Freddie Quill's alcoholism. Yeah. The film consistently retouches on it throughout the film. Mm-hmm. It never really breaks because it wants to really drive it in how dependent he is. And, mm-hmm. you know, the post-World War II man, you know, that whole thing. That whole idea really lingers in the film mm-hmm. of, you know, aimlessness. Where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. You know, people turn to things like these cults. Yeah. Anderson actually based the film off of a, um, a documentary that was released um, around the time this film takes place in the 50s. About That's just about um, these all these men coming home from World War II and just not knowing what to do with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But um, The Master... Mm-hmm. Really great film. Can't recommend it. Yep. So the last film that we're going to be talking about today is uh, another. I I had it picked like two hours before mm-hmm. um, we started this episode that I was going to talk about Todd Salons' film Happiness from 1998. Had it dead set I was going to talk about that like two hours before the start. I was like, no, nah, I got to switch it to Wiener Dog. A dog is not human. It's an animal. Nature doesn't care about them. It's sad but true. We're a dog's only friend. Hey, wiener dog. She looks like you. Thanks. We're going to Ohio tomorrow. Want to come along? What's in Ohio? Wiener dog is his 2016 film. And this is an anti-audience film. This is definitely a film that is trying its hardest to aggravate the audience or pull a trick on the audience because it's like the complete opposite to what the comedy is trying to do. When the comedy is, you know, the whole point of the film is kind of looking for sincerity. Wiener Dog is everything is bullshit and we're just going to (laughs) be as cynical as possible about it. The film is really, really absurd. The plot follows this Wiener Dog Mm -hmm. who has like this musical cue. Everyone's like, Wiener Dog, (laughs) like every single... Uh, like act in the film and uh, the wiener dog kind of goes from owner to owner typically a dysfunctional owner to Mm -hmm. owner and the film kind of lingers on his owner for you know one period of the film then another period of the film then another period of film and then you know the end of the film which Mm -hmm. spoiler alert the dog dies which is just another kind of kick in the face to the audience yeah and the film is very depressing. It's very dark. Sometimes it's pretty funny. Uh, it's really well acted, well shot. Um, the use of music is really funny. But it's a very, very sarcastic, mean-spirited movie. And I even, like, I love the film. And sometimes I'm watching it and I'm like, God, this is just draining. And how just, like, <laughs> negative it is. So for our listeners, um. Todd Salons, the director of this, his is known. He's kind of built his career on this on this kind of film, like Wiener Dog. Yeah, he's one of my favorite directors. Um, 
he does a lot of really dark comedies. Um, he did Happiness, Dark Horse, uh, life, Palindromes. Life During Wartime. Was yep, it? Life During Life After Wartime, I, I believe. Mm. Life During Wartime. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Storytellers, I've seen that one. Okay. He has a lot of films, but all of his work is really, really um, dry, cynical, mean-spirited, and funny. Mm-hmm. And Wiener Dog is probably his most anti-film to date. It just okay. does not care about pleasing the audience at all. It's kind of just like abusive towards <laughs> the audience, you know? Like it it willfully kind of pulls you along into these movie tropes and it pulls you along with these kind of su- superficialities and this really kind of uncomfortable uh, sentimentality at times. Mm-hmm. And it's totally just doing it just to eventually pull the rug out from under you. Like, okay. oh, here's a really moving scene. We'll pull the rug out from <laughs> under you. Here's a really cute dog. We'll pull the rug from out of you. Okay. And uh, the whole film, every single character goes through uh, a negative experience. Uh, specifically, one of the most interesting characters of the film is Danny DeVito's character mm-hmm. who plays this uh, professor at film school. And he's kind of a hack, mm-hmm. and everyone knows it. He's kind of the butt of the joke on campus. He wrote, like, one really stupid comedy, like, 20 years ago, and that's kind of, like, his calling card. But, you know, mm-hmm. everyone kind of knows it's crap. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's kind of teaching at film school. You know, he should have retired long ago. He's trying to get his own script put through, and it's not going anywhere. He comes into possession of the dog, and it kind of just follows him kind of going through a mental breakdown, realizing he's never going to be a director like how he wants to be. Mm-hmm. And the dog kind of just comforts him through the entire process until his vignette, his little act ends by him threatening to blow up the film school. <laughs> so, yeah, it gets really absurd and really over the top really quickly, but it has a consistently funny uh, tone to it throughout. Where would you say the comedy comes from? Is it just from the absurdism? How like s- so dark you can't help but laugh? Yeah. Um, it it comes from just like the over the top grimness of it. Like it's mm-hmm. so excessively negative. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like you laugh out of um, discomfort, you know? Okay. And there are moments that are just absurd and other moments where um, it's funny because it's just well written. You know, mm-hmm. not everything in the film relies on it, but there are a lot of really, really strong writing cues in the film, which is consistent with Solon's work. You know, always he's a fantastic writer. But um, yeah, if you like kind of dark comedy, you you may enjoy this. But this is not a film that I intend. <laughs> I, I expect anyone listening to this to really enjoy, and that's why we can't recommend it. But we love it. <laughs> All right. So there were four films for you. Let's go over that list again. Um, what were your two films? Lost River and The Master. And my two films were The Comedy and uh, Wiener Dog. Wiener Dog. <laughs> and just, you know, just a heat of warning to anyone that does watch these films. Just, you know, be prepared for mm-hmm. some of them being a little bit. For your first time, um, watch them alone. Don't like plan a group party. Like, oh, let's watch. Yeah, don't don't on. watch these on a first date. It probably <laughs> won't pan out for you. Let's get together and watch Wiener Dog. <laughs> but this has been Moving Pictures. I'm Brent Gunn. I'm Mitchell Kakalka. And uh, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.